Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson, Smith. Our producer is Christian Ryan for this very special Over Unders Recap 2021 episode, audio only. You heard our takes on uh, the Blue Jays offseason uh, so far, as it were, if it's even begun, and, and what might uh, be coming up next on a previous episode. But now it's time to sell some unfinished business, Ben, and go back to our, uh, I don't know if you'd call them predictions, but our, uh, you know, the, the lines that we set way back when in March and, and just see how foolish we were. Oh, and you might think that after many years of doing these predictions that we would gradually improve and that uh, the results would somehow reflect a greater understanding of baseball or at least of baseball prediction making but i feel like every single year we are just reminded of how impossible it is to predict baseball and so it's almost refreshing you know you you think that you're on to something you make these predictions with the best intentions possible and then Every single year that we do these, yeah, it's it's always a reminder that um, we are wrong all the time about baseball. <laughs> I would have to go back and listen to like at the letters circa 2015, 2016 and see like what the over-unders were like then. Because I'd like to think we've gotten better. You are indicating that you don't believe that we have. I'd like to think we've evolved and grown a little bit. If anything, maybe the questions themselves that we're asking have shifted. Yeah. Like that might reflect a shift in thinking or some growth when it comes to understanding the game. I don't know. I would hope so. Um, you know, sometimes too, like, you know, you want to just have a simple over under in there where it's just home runs or it's just innings pitched. And so you're not necessarily going to get into those deeper questions. But, but yeah, it is really fun. And I think that even on the ones where you end up being way off base or, or it really is a surprising outcome, maybe especially with those ones it, it is really fun and, and i i know that a lot of our listeners enjoy these episodes and and enjoy making predictions along with us and so definitely want to reiterate you know we love having the listeners kind of join in and play along with us and if you had a perfect scorecard or close to it please let us know that's a very yeah. difficult thing to do but uh, <laughs> maybe someone's out there who did I don't think that exists. Uh, I don't think that's out there. Um, I'd be I'd be shocked if it was. I have at least been inching closer to a victory the last couple of years. Like two True. years ago, I lost by one. Last year, it technically was a tie because we left out the Kevin Pillar question at the end, and we forgot to account for that one. Oh, so, wow. so I haven't looked at these since we did it in March. I'm about to look at them for the first time. All I kind of vaguely remember was there were a few Vladimir Guerrero Jr. ones, and you were like bullish as always on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So I, I would expect that you have the edge going into this, just based off what I can remember. Well, yeah, the Vladdy ones, I do recall being bullish on Vladdy. I do have a regret not to do with the over-unders, but each year I make a bold predictions column at sportsnet.ca. And for two years running in 2019 and 2020, I predicted that Vladdy would have a breakout season. And then this is, of course, the year when he actually has a breakout season that I stopped making that prediction. So I regret not doing that in my bull predictions article. But that is, of course, a separate entity from the over-unders. And so I, I'm optimistic that within the over-unders, I will have been appropriately optimistic for one that what ended up being just a spectacular year for Vladdy. All right. Well, let's start off the top here with uh, the, the first one we had was uh, Stephen Matz. 
2-2, swing and a miss. Missed his spot, but got a fastball by Torres. Well, Steven Matz has great stuff, and his fastball has a lot of late movement, and you're right. You can see the target by Danny Jansen was down and in, but when you have that kind of life and velocity on your pitches, you can make mistakes. Over under of a 4.745 ERA, and we had it there because Zips had him projected at 4.94, Steamer had him projected at 4.54. We put a minimum of 100 innings pitched qualifier on this one. Steven Matz's ultimate ERA ended up being 3.82, and it looks like I took the under and you took the over. So an, an early lead for me, and just like as by the way, just so everybody knows, we are literally live looking these up as we go right like looking them up as we record here so i am learning this now that i've taken an early lead i was bullish on steven matz and i was right to be you were very bullish and you were very right on this one <laughs> i mean three eight two you said era like that it was a great season for steven matz like uh, i think that you know after the season that he had where he had an era over nine with the Mets in 2020 i was pretty confident taking the over here and as I look at our, our setup document, his Zips projection was 4.94. His Steamer projection was 4.54. So we set that over under, obviously, in line with what the projection systems were saying about Steven Matz. And he just shattered it. He had a great year. We're talking about him now as a potential qualifying offer guy. And that's a huge, huge change compared to where he was entering the season. I remember being bullish on him just in general coming into this year because I remember there was like uh, people weren't that happy with that trade at the time. People kind of thought like, what? Like, this, look at the season this guy's coming off of. He's not that great. And I remember thinking, well, you got to put 2020 out of your mind. You got to take that away. And if you look back to the two seasons prior, like he was really solid. He had like the two seasons prior to 2020 looked a lot like the one that he just had um, in 2021. Like they look very similar. And even beyond those results, you just look at a guy with like really solid stuff, 97 from the left side with a really good changeup working up with the heater and, and down with the changeup. I mean, you, you know, as as an organization, I think you're always just looking for those guys in other organizations on the free agent market, wherever, who have like really quality big league tools like Steven Matz has. You bring them into your organization, you get them working with your people and you try to get them to be a bit more consistent so i think that's why i like steven matt's coming into this year just because 2020 looked like an outlier and he had really good big league stuff absolutely worked out great for you one zero arden as we head to question number two and this one had to do with another pitcher alec manoa and another one of those very straightforward over-unders simple mlb games this is a guy who entered the season as a prospect he was impressive in spring training. We set the over-under for MLB games for Alec Manoa at 6.5. <laughs> now, as I bring up his baseball reference page here, he I think I know he <laughs> surpassed that then. Yeah, he ended up at 20. So he pitched in 20 games. And Arden, you took the under. I took the over on this one. Mm. I think I made the reasonable bet, actually, because you would expect that a guy who had so little minor league experience 
would take some time to get to the big leagues. And then when he did get to the big leagues, you would expect there to be an adjustment period and there to be a, you know, a few games where think, look at what's happened with Nate Pearson. Yeah. <laughs> you would expect even somebody, a pitcher that big in a starter's role to possibly deal with some injuries and to get hurt. And none of those things happened with Ogmanoa. He has been the outlier of the kind of pitching prospect who comes up and makes his big league debut and just succeeds and carries on. Yeah, and much like Stephen Matz, like he just shattered expectations. And and actually, I should say he he did it in a way that Matz didn't, because Matz kind of returned to levels that he had established. But Manoa just emerged as one of the best young pitchers in the American League. There's no question about that. He's going to appear on Rookie of the Year ballots, deservedly so. And you know, going into the season, my thinking on this one was he's looking great. There there can be opportunity for guys who who have the kind of stuff that he has and who have the kind of uh, ability that he has. But even then, it might have been a reach. You know, there certainly were no guarantees. And to his credit, he went out there and had a spectacular rookie season. Do you know off the top of your head how many minor league games Alec Manoa has in his life? Nine. Nine minor league games. Coming into this season, he had six. It was a rapid, rapid ascent. And actually, I mean, as listeners of ATL know, like that was a that was a major topic for the Jays and for us. Like in the first couple months of the season, it was really, man, can he really do this? Can he really push it this soon? And he did and was great when he got here. All right. So we're at 1-1 now. Moving right along. Uh, Robbie Ray. Swing and a miss. Robbie Ray clinches his fist. He gets Anderson on strikes. Robbie Ray gets the best of T.A. He keeps it a 1-1 game with seven scintillating innings tonight at Rogers Center from the lefty Robbie Ray. Over under 149 and a half strikeouts. I don't even need to look it up, Ben. I know it was over that. I took the <laughs> yeah. over. You took the under. Rack another one up for Arden. It's 2-1. I bet on Robbie Ray, and uh, I bet on the guy who's probably going to win the Cy Young. That's right. I mean, this was not a good year to be betting the under on Robbie Ray. I, I bet the under on him. As I look at this now, that's not one of my prouder uh, selections from the <laughs> 2021 over-unders to, to be taking the under on a guy who won the Cy Young. I guess like it does reflect, or I shouldn't say he's won it. He, we think he will win it. So we'll see. We'll see where that leads. But, um, you know, it just reflects like how much of a wild card he was entering the season. Remember, he led the National League in walks last year in 2020. He was the National League leader in walks and entered the season injured. He had slipped and hit his elbow um, while carrying his kid. And so you were talking about an injured guy coming off a down season. And so I'm sure that contributed to, to my thinking at the time. But man, he proved a lot of people wrong this year and he proved you right. Yeah, I think my thinking was that Robbie Ray could probably strike out 150 batters in like, you know, four months, right? Like, I think that was my thinking that even if he missed a bunch of time with injuries, like he's always been a guy, even when he hasn't been great earlier in his career, always a guy who is like lead in the league in case per nine, you know, that as a starter up in that kind of 11 and a half, 12 range of, of strikeouts per nine innings. So I figured that I didn't need him to be on the mound all that much for him to get to 150. So I think that's probably, I don't know that I was thinking, like, I definitely know I wasn't thinking Robbie Ray was going to be a Cy Young contender, but I think I thought that he could still rack up a bunch of strikeouts, even if he is still walking as many guys as he has in his career. Yeah, that was a pretty legit bet that you took and, and it worked. Now Robbie Ray 
one of the top free agents out there in free agency, uh, which which will start, of course, after the World Series ends. And he will be joined in that department by Marcus Semyon. And Marcus Semyon is the subject of our fourth over under here as Arden has a 2-1 lead. And we looked very simply here at OPS+. Plus. Man, and again, in hindsight, wow, a lot has changed <laughs> because the OPS plus here for Marcus Semyon was set at 99.5, which is another way of saying, is he going to be a league average hitter in 2021? The guy goes out and hits more home runs than any second baseman in Major League Baseball history. So yes, he was a league average hitter. And Arden, I am pleased to tell you that both you and I did take the over here. Yeah, look, if you hide 2021 from his baseball reference page, there is only one season in which he was over a 99 OPS plus hitter on his record, right? And that was 2019 when obviously he was an MVP finalist as well. But you even, you know, you look back at it through the Oakland years, uh, through kind of like 15, 16, 17, you see OPS pluses at 98, 99, 97, 95 in 2018. Like that's just kind of the hitter that he was it is full credit to him for developing into the guy that he has become like none of this was given to him he has had to work for everything that he's gotten in this game um and it's gonna be very interesting to see just where he fits into this free agent market as like i'm sure he you know considers himself a, a shortstop and i'm sure there's a lot of teams that are going to look at him as a second baseman some teams might look at him as a third baseman it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up and how much term and money that he that he gets, but he's going to deserve it for how hard he has worked to put himself in this position. Yeah, and I think if you know if teams now essentially have to ask themselves a version of this question, they have to say, what what's our internal over under? Not that they would frame it quite that way, but what's our internal expectation for what Marcus Semyon's going to do in 2022 and beyond? And I think if you were trying to make that determination the guess for 2022 would have to be something like, I don't know, 114.5 or 117.5. Like he has boosted it a lot because of how well he played. Again, over the course of 162 games, this is a guy who was just a force offensively. And actually Christian Ben is in my ear right now telling me he's got a clip from the original over-unders show where we are talking about Marcus Simeon. So let's listen to that. Even though, as you said, he has, in his career, had a lot of fluctuation. He's had a lot of seasons where he is, you know, a little bit below average as a hitter. But I just think he's going to hit. I think that he is currently a better hitter than he was when he first came into the league. So, yeah. No, me too. It's an easy over for me. I probably would have gone over at, like, 104.5, honestly. Wow. Um, I think Mark Simeon's going to be really, really good. Uh, yeah, I think the Blue Jays fans are going to love this guy. I think the Blue Jays should look to extend him midseason, honestly. So I guess we were both right on that bet? Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, good call by you to extend him. If they had done that, <laughs> then uh, the Jays would have another core piece uh, on their roster beyond 2022. I'm sure they wish that they had done that. But you know what? It's nice to be reminded that occasionally these over-unders do contain some predictions or some some little nuggets there that send our listeners in the right direction. Marcus Simeon, a guy who generates a lot of power as a, a second baseman, a guy who generates a lot of power on the mound, uh, is Nate Pearson. He's subject of our fifth over under from uh prior to the season uh and by the way i am up three two right now but uh i have a feeling that's about to change because nate pearson's innings pitched the over under was set at 
0.68. So basically, would he reach 90 innings pitched? Zips had projected him at 99. Uh, Nate Pearson this year threw 15 major league innings pitched. Now, we did not stipulate whether that included minor league innings pitched as well as major league innings pitched. And it does not matter because <laughs> Nate Pearson only threw 30 and two-thirds in the oh. minors. So total 45 and two-thirds innings pitched from Nate Pearson this year. Well under 90 innings pitched. I took the over. Ben took the under. And we're tied up now. 3-3. Three, three. I'm going to go over. I'm going to bet on Nate Pearson, man. I'm going to make another one of my uh, you know bets that probably will look foolish in, in hindsight. But uh, I'm going to bet on the kid. Wow. See, this one is a classic, if I do say so myself, it's a classic Ben choice for over-unders, betting (laughs) against the Blue Jays. I think I've gotten away from that at at points, but whenever I'm on my game, you have to bet again. It's like the most buzzkill way to go about it. But um, yeah, in, in this case, Nate Pearson had some trouble reaching, just taking the mound. And obviously, it led to a very disappointing season for him. He ended up probably on a high note, but uh, sports hernia injury, what was the other one? A hip? Hip. Yeah. yeah. And uh, just never really got into a rhythm on the mound this year. And it's a disappointing one for the Blue Jays on that front. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, you got to throw a couple hedge bets in, right? Like you're going to take a couple swings and over-unders, but you got to throw a couple like sort of defensive plays in there as well. So you know that you build kind of like that that level of, of points that you're going to need to see yourself through this. I don't delight in being right on that one, but um, that brings us to our first Vlad Guerrero Jr. question of 2021. Hooks it down the left field line. Gone! There it is right there. Step aside, Vlad Sr. Jr. with number 45. So this one, average launch angle. And as I read this here, uh, so we set the over-under at 9.95. Now, context is very important here because obviously we don't just know what launch angles are off the top of our heads. MLB average in 2020 was 13 degrees. Flat Jr. averaged 4.6 degrees in 2020. In 2019, as a rookie, it was 6.7 degrees. And in spring training, it was 8 degrees. So a line drive is considered 10 degrees or more. So all that's kind of context for understanding launch angle. And again, we had set it at 9.95 degrees. Arden, you took the over. I took the under. And I do have Vladdy's baseball savant page up here. And it tells me that his launch angle in 2021 was 9.4 degrees. So barely under. A weird situation where betting the over on Vlad, in my case, and you betting the under, worked against me. You would think that any over on Vlad would have come through this year. Launch angle did not. And like we had this in here because it was such a topic the prior two seasons of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hitting the ball hard as hell, but hitting into the ground and hitting too many ground balls. And a lot of the thought was like he needs to get back up to that line drive range to that fly ball range because you see the exit velocities and you see the way he hits the ball how many times you see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit a home run this year that was basically like a line drive above the infielder's head that just never comes down and just goes like you know missiles over the top of the wall that's the type of ability that he has apparently he didn't get that launch angle up 
quite high enough for me to uh yeah. to win this over under but he did get it up high enough to you know have an mvp caliber season yeah it's interesting like it's it's kind of a convoluted question in hindsight and it's interesting because like i i don't recall thinking about this at all during the season and you're right this was a topic in spring training it was a big narrative that's why we chose this question and then vladdy just hits so well the discussion of how he was getting there or the, the granular stuff like launch angle almost became secondary. And this really wasn't a topic of, of conversation, at least that I encountered or, or I saw around Vladdy and the Jays this year. It kind of shows you that like when a guy is struggling, it can really be a tendency to kind of look for the whys and maybe make a bigger deal out of one particular thing in a guy's savant profile or whatever it is his you know his take his chase his whatever um his contact and say oh that's what it is right because it sticks out and, be, and look, look he raised his launch angle this year clearly yep. he said it was nine four five right so that is more than double what last year was 4.6 so clearly he made an adjustment there but he didn't actually have to get up above the like line drive threshold in order to be successful. Like this still tells us that he hit the ball on the ground a ton. Like that still happened quite a bit this year, but he was still able to be one of the better hitters in baseball. So it kind of tell, it shows you how you can kind of make a bit of a mountain out of a molehill. Like there, there isn't always a there there when, you know, a guy is struggling and you hone in on one thing in his profile. It's not always that. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense, you know, because he probably did need to raise his launch angle a little bit and not be hammering the ball into the ground all the time. But it's not like he needed to be hitting these moonshots. Clearly, the outcome of him hitting these low line drives very consistently, still hitting some ground balls, it works. So nothing wrong with, uh, you know, his, his launch angle the way it is now, even though it is below the MLB average. Funny enough, we actually have a quote from one Ben Nicholson Smith from the original uh, At The Letters episode in March that is going to dovetail nicely off what we just talked about and lead nicely into our next over-under. Let's listen to it. I really think Vladdy is going to have an incredible offensive season. And yet, you don't have to have these high average launch angles like Joey Gallo to be a good hitter. Just given what we've seen from Vladdy so far in his career... I think he's showing us that he hits it at a pretty low launch angle. We even saw that anecdotally this spring. So I just think he's going to have a monster year with some monster home runs. But I think that for the most part, that launch angle will stay relatively low. Hard to argue with that, Ben. Uh, Our next over-under was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. home runs. We had set it at 32 and a half. You took the over. I took the under. Finally, after years of being bullish on Vladimir Guerrero Jr., it has come around. You, the dividends are starting to pay off, man. Here they come. All that investment in Vladimir Jr. This is your moment. This is your stage. Enjoy. It was probably bound to happen if I kept guessing um, that this would be the year that <laughs> Vladdy would break out. And then this was it. And, and you know, hearing that... Um, that clip that's that's obviously great to know that um that i was betting on vladdy even after the down season that he had in 2020 and it was a rough year in 2020 where he did underperform but those signs were always there i mean he's someone who just does have incredible power and incredible hands even at the plate and ability to make contact and ability to make adjustment and a great eye and we saw it all come together this year i mean that honestly for me 
not because of the over-under, but because, you know, watching Vladdy was so different than anything that I've seen from a young hitter ever being, you know, around the Blue Jays and covering this team. It was a real highlight, you know, to be able to watch him do what he did on a very consistent basis. And it was an incredible season. Yeah, you could probably, I mean, that clip could have been from like the 2017 over-unders, yeah. could have been from the 18 over-unders, but like, the, did any player have as big of a kind of turnaround in their like quote-unquote narrative this year than than Vlad? Maybe Robbie Ray, I guess, but like, what, you know, you think about some of the questions that we were hearing about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. after his first two seasons in the majors, like, is this guy up? bust what's going on he's overweight like all he needs to go to the minors what are they gonna do he doesn't have a position and now like here he is like playing some pretty solid first base you feel absolutely fine with him at first base in the field defensively played 161 games and is an mvp candidate just wiped the slate clean of everything everyone was saying about him after 2020 yeah, and I do think that he changed the narrative around him more than anyone else because you could point to Sammy and you could point to Ray, but in the case of Vladdy, he's someone who has now joined the tier of elite players in baseball that includes Fernando Tatis Jr. and Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna Jr., Shohei Otani. He is just in that mix now. He's he's one of the best players in baseball I think that's widely accepted that's widely understood and you know as we look back and the over under there was set at 32.5 home runs which you know that was even projecting a massive increase compared to what he had ever done before and yet he destroyed that so very happy to have taken the over here and reflects uh, a season that was that was really incredible for Vladdy Jr. All right so that brings us to our eighth over under here, and it centers around another young hitter in Alejandro Kirk. So this one, straight up OPS for Alejandro Kirk, and we set the over under at 789.5, and we tagged onto that a minimum 200 plate appearance limit. Now, Arden, you took the under here, and I took the over, and as I look at Alejandro Kirk's baseball reference page, I see that he posted a 764 OPS, so that is under the over-under. However, he only had 189 plate appearances. Oh, my God. Which means that I narrowly dodge a loss on this question. Wow. Jeez, you couldn't have... You know what? (laughs) Just, like, flashbacks to right (laughs) around the All-Star break when, like, the Blue Jays were regularly running out like a Reese McGuire Riley Adams tandem uh, yeah. and Alejandro Kirk was in AAA and Ben I'm pretty sure you were on the desk with me uh, at Blue Jays Central or at least I don't know I, I just remember catching crap from Jamie Campbell constantly for like banging the drum for Kirk every day that I was on the desk but I was just going on there daily being like this team's best catcher is in triple a he needs to be in the majors he needs to be in the big leagues I was like you know asking in every zoom about it and it, you know Charlie was saying oh he needs a bit more time and you know he's just kind of finding the swing this and that if only the Blue Jays had listened to me he could have gotten those 11 more plate appearances and I would have taken this over under <laughs> uh but but he 
didn't. So well, and who knows? Maybe he would have gone. Maybe he would have gone five for eleven with a couple bombs in there, and he would have boosted that OPS <laughs> all the true. way up to seven ninety. I mean, it's so he was. Let's see. So yeah, seven ninety was the number that he had to reach. He ended at seven sixty four, and I mean that's an OPS plus of of one hundred seven. A very good offensive season for Alejandro Kirk. And and again, it was limited sample. I agree with you. He should have been up. He should have had more chances to hit and deliver offensively for this team than he actually had. But when you look at the season he had, offensively speaking, the guy can hit. And I think that was really confirmed as he came close to reaching what would have been a pretty aggressive over-under for, for a catcher who at the time had all of nine major league games and he actually came close to it to you know surpassing 750 in ops pushing up toward 800 at times a very good offensive season uh so what do we got next here final one before we take a break george springer fan graphs war fastball swinging a drive deep drive left field get out of here what a moment for george springer and we set the over under at four. Uh, for context, his uh, his Fangraphs score was only one point nine in twenty twenty, right? Short in season, that makes sense. And then in twenty nineteen, it was six point five. So we kind of threw it right in the middle of there. And Zips had also projected four. I took the under. Ben took the over. Ben obviously optimistic about George Springer's season. I perhaps uh, maybe somewhat foresaw what what was to come. And as we pull it up here, George Springer ended up at 2.4 F4. Obviously only played 78 games, 342 plate appearances, just did not have the runway and the opportunity to reach that four threshold. Uh, And we didn't put minimum plate appearances on it. So I'm going to take this one. No technicalities. I'm back in it. We're tied up at 4-4 at the halfway point. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a classic case of, hey, if you bet the under on players, you are often going to be rewarded. And that ended up being the case. And, you know, you look back at this Blue Jays season, you think about how different it could have been if George Springer had been able to stay healthy. Um, You know, that's one of those big what ifs for this team, because he was great when he was on the field. And, you know, I just did a little quick calculation at his current rate of production he would have had to play only 130 games to get to that four war mark. So pretty reasonable um, to have expected that he might get to that point. Based on his career, he had certainly played that many games on a consistent basis, even if he wasn't a 162 guy. And it just didn't happen this year. You got to think that next year he plays in a lot more games and makes a much bigger impact for the Jays. Yeah, I think it's totally fair to expect him to be like a 135 to 140 games played type of guy right you mix in a bunch of off days in there you mix in maybe one like 10 day il stint to get over a you know barking quad or whatever um but like the the amount of time that he missed this season was uh you know for a guy even that it hasn't been really an everyday guy throughout his career it was still exceptional for him to have had the injury concerns that he had but i don't know Maybe you're thinking about a, you know, an outfielder at the age of 32 who's relied on his legs a lot throughout his career. Maybe it's not that surprising. I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to monitor that going forward and how the Blue Jays manage George Springer's workload, how much they kind of get him into a corner spot, maybe to take a little bit of the kind of the rigors of center field off of him and and just, you know, what what 2022 looks like for George Springer as he tries to, you know, bring the impact that he's been paying a bunch of money to to bring yeah well he left no doubt when he was on the field as to the kind of impact that he can make 
I mean, they were so much better when he was out there. And really, it's clearly not a coincidence that they started playing their best baseball of the season once he was healthy, once he was back with the team. And yeah, as they were heading into the postseason and, and Springer was getting you know healthier and, and starting to get a little bit uh, of his legs under him again, you know, that's a that's a really scary lineup when he's at the top of it. All right, 4-4 four, four at the halfway point. We're going to step away, but when we come back, we're going to get to the bottom of, of the rest of the over-unders. All that and so much more, and we continue on At The Letters. All right, we're back on At The Letters, midway through our over-unders here for 2021 with nine more to go. And we will start with another relatively straightforward one. This one here is very simply the total saves by the club leader. As we've seen, kind of the distribution of saves get more fragmented over the years. You don't see quite as many 30 or 40 save relievers out there. And the Jays, of course, with Kirby Yates injured, entered the season without a clear closer. So we set the over-under for this one at 19.5 so basically does anyone on the jays reach 20 saves arden you took the under on this one i took the over so that we had a difference of opinion on it and as i bring up the jordan romano page i see that he recorded 23 saves to give me this one i don't remember what i thought coming into it but i think i thought that there was going to be more of a committee situation i I don't think i saw jordan romano like uh, emerging as a really legit MLB closer, a guy who probably didn't get as much credit as he deserved for how good he was, like in the context of MLB closers, um, like a top 15 dude <laughs> in that regard. So coming into the season, the Blue Jays like did not have a closer. Coming out of the season, they absolutely do. Makes their, their offseason kind of interesting because I, I'd wonder if the Blue Jays need to be a bit more aggressive in pursuing legitimate, dependable relief options this winter and maybe they need to sort of take the plunge on a free agent contract for for a reliever that may have made them uncomfortable in the past the good thing is you're not going to be sort of chasing the save statistic because you know that you have jordan romano so you can kind of go out and find your blake trinan level relief ad where it's like a solid setup guy but not necessarily like your liam hendricks who you were bringing in to be your closer on a massive three-year deal it's more of like a safer two-year bet on someone who is still a very dependable reliever and you know what we talked a lot about the troubles that this Blue Jays bullpen had this year, and rightfully so. I mean, at times, it was awful. They squandered games they should have won. But at the same time, there were some really strong performances within that bullpen. And of course, Tim Meza and Jordan Romano are at the very top of that list. And so for him to, you know, especially a Markham guy, a Canadian pitcher who was out of the organization, rule five, back in, trying to find his role, and he really did that and, and ended up being just a huge difference maker for this team and one who you would certainly project to be a big difference maker moving forward. Always very safe to project forward with relievers. Uh, nothing can ever go wrong. No volatility at all in That's that right. class of player. So <laughs> uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, and that sort of speaks to the next over under, which was a uh, number of pitchers to record 
a save. And this also speaks to what I was saying earlier about just the Blue Jays bullpen situation entering the season when we were kind of looking at Romano as a guy who was going to get some saves. We were thinking Rafael Delis would probably get a few as well. Julian Merriweather was likely to get some. I, I mean, AJ Cole's probably on our radar at, at that point. You know, I don't think Tim Meza was necessarily Tim Meza yet, but Ben and I both saw there being more than 5.5 pitchers to record a save, which is where we set the over-under. Ben and I both took the over, and the over was the way to go. Nine Blue Jays relievers recorded a save in 2021, including such venerated names as Tyler Chatwood, Anthony Castro, and Tommy Malone. Nine relievers recorded a save for the Blue Jays this year. Wow. Yes. Yeah, that's a Correct. lot. The Rays had like twice right. that. And the Rays had guys who, you know, they, <laughs> they started the season, you know, doing like sod installation. And then by the end of the season, those guys were closing out games for the 100 win Tampa Bay Rays. Like, it's incredible. I mean, it is the way that modern pitching staffs work. Like, you just don't have one guy. And I, I think for a few years there, we had the how many starting pitchers are the Blue Jays going to use over under as a staple. Yeah. And you always have to take the over on that. And I think it's probably getting that way with saves too, where you just have to take the over every time. Okay, so that brings us to over under number 12. And this one is very simple. Tanner Roark innings pitched. Yes, Tanner Roark pitched for the 2021 Toronto Blue Jays. That was this year that he pitched for them. Even though there was one point late in the season, I think you were there, Arden, where we we're in conversation with the Blue Jays personnel member and talking about some of the names that have been on the team this year and <laughs> i mentioned one of us mentioned tanner roark and the blue jays person went that was this year like that was 2021 yeah. a long season remember we were running down like everybody who had started a game yeah. for this for this club and we were all just pulling out like what what kind of like ridiculous names Ties, that we could, um come up yeah oh yeah like yeah, travis bergen you know phelps had a start yeah zoik Oh my God. Yeah. Zoic. And uh, yeah, I think the comment was made more so in a like, man, it's been a long year, but it was still very revealing that the comment was made for sure. Exactly. So Tanner Roark did pitch for these 2021 Toronto Blue Jays. And going into this season, there was actually some degree of optimism around how much he would pitch. So we set the innings at 99.68. And that was in the, the context of Zip's projections that had Roark for 133 steamer projections for 135 so across the board the industry expected tanner roark to take the ball with some sort of regularity now arden you took the over on this so you had some optimism that roark would deliver some innings not unreasonable considering he had done so throughout his career and i am pleased to report that i took the under here <laughs> so i'm bringing up his totals and it was well under the total of 99 he pitched seven major league innings this year yeah uh, you know what, what can i say it's a pretty bad call <laughs> that's pretty rough uh i don't know you could like you could squint and see it right especially coming off of a shortened season when he still like took the ball 11 times in 2020 right so 11 starts in 2020 figured he made his starts they weren't spectacular but it was a strange year and i think that going into this season i was very much trying to 
leave 2020 stats out like whenever we're looking back at players careers we're gonna have to find a way just to work around 2020 stat lines because you can see it with you just on this team Simeon you know Vlad like a lot of guys Matt's like a lot of guys are gonna have crazy 2020 numbers that obviously there's a million other things going on there that you know would be reasons why we shouldn't really consider that in the context of their careers and you look back beyond that and I, you know, I, I should probably just stop now, but like Tanner Rourke, 180 and a third innings in 18, 165 and a third in 19 and 17, 181 and a third, a 210 inning season in 2016. So I think I was kind of squinting at that and seeing, yeah, but considering that TJ Zoik's in this rotation to start the season and like David Phelps is making starts, I can squint and see a way in which Tanner Rourke gets the volume here, but he did not. No, he did not come close. It was, yeah, it was, it was a bad year for what ended up being a bad contract. And, you know, it, it just didn't work. But I mean, going into this year, like, didn't he nickname himself Diesel last year? Like, this is a guy who was known for taking the ball and doing it consistently, if not with, you know, incredible results. He did it well enough to, to get, the ball on a very consistent basis from some teams that were halfway decent in the course of his career. So yeah, it just, this was, it, it appears to be the end of the line now for Roark and certainly a disappointing outcome for the Blue Jays and what they would have wanted for him. And just looking forward to the next one. I think this might be the end of the line for my over under chances this season, unfortunately, because you've now moved into a, a commanding seven to five lead and you were about to entrench that even further. Just looking at this. So number 13, Rowdy Tellez home runs. We had set the over under at 24 and a half. I took the over. You took the under. Classic Arden and Ben play. Arden Benton on a guy, Ben taking the safe hedge, and you were right. Rowdy Tellez ends up this season between Toronto and Milwaukee with 11 home runs. Put up some nice numbers. A couple more the in the playoffs, too. By the way. Yeah. I mean, even if you include those, I still lose <laughs> with Milwaukee. Rowdy Tellez had an 814 OPS, 116 OPS plus, 174 play appearances. Not bad. We'll see. He is going to be 27 next year. So it's kind of make or break time for the, the career of Rowdy Tellez. Like this is the time where he should be heading into the prime, heading into when he should be at his best. So it'll be interesting to see if he gets kind of the runway and the, the playing time to sort of show what he can obviously do uh, with Milwaukee next year. Well, I'm glad that we had this kind of section within the over-unders where um, you kind of get some of these names like a Tanner Roark and like a Rowdy Telez because, <laughs> again, it wasn't that long ago. It's only six, seven months ago that this is who the Toronto Blue Jays were focused on. This is who Toronto Blue Jays fans were focused on. Obviously, Arden, you and I were focused on these players. Roark, what's he going to do? Rowdy Telez, And then it just turns over so quickly. Like these rosters turn over so much more quickly than I think we almost account for mentally sometimes. Like it it happens so fast. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, so that brings us to a player who remains with the Blue Jays and remains a potentially significant piece for them. Um, Although his stature probably took a step back this year as well, and that's Kevin Biggio. So this was a question from one of our listeners, Ann Campbell, at Filmgate Reviews. So thanks again to Ann for this question. Over under total number of different defensive positions that Kevin Biggio plays during the season. We set that over under at 4.5, and we clarified that that would not include DH. So it would be 4.5 actual defensive positions on the diamond. We both took the over here. 
So we both had confidence that he would play at least five different spots defensively, and Kevin Biggio did just that. He appeared at third base, right field, first base, second base, DH, and left field. So he met the requirements by a slight margin, but he still met them playing all over the diamond and providing some of that defensive versatility. Yeah, I really don't think I would have had any doubt on this one. He's just kind of profiled. Even if you got the offensive production of the prior two seasons, they still was going to be a guy who was going to move around the diamond a lot. It's just kind of how the Blue Jays like to use him. So not surprised I took that over. And I have uh, I've held your lead to just three. I'm going to need a, a comeback of pretty epic proportions here to turn this thing around. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. So that's welcome news. Our second fan submission was from at Eric Hartman, who uh, posited second most innings thrown by a member of the Blue Jays. And uh, he put the over under at 124.68. So basically, will the pitcher with the second most innings get to 125? I took the under, Ben took the over. So I guess in this world, this was like a Hunjin Ryu will lead the team in innings pitched and will someone else surpass 125. So you have been looking at a field of like Robbie Ray, who there were a lot of question marks about at the time, Stephen Matz, who was obviously coming off of a miserable year. I guess Ross Stripling would have been in that conversation. Roark. Yeah, Roark. <laughs> Diesel. Diesel. How funny it is to look back on it because three Pitchers surpassed 125. Robbie Ray at 193 and a third. Hunjin Ryu at 169. Steven Matz, 150 and two thirds. So you actually had three finishers with above 125. I lose again because I took the under. Ben, you took the over and you were right on a bit of a maybe a dangerous bet. I don't know. It came through for you. You're up 10 6. This competition's essentially over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You sound a little dispirited there. Um, yeah, I obviously the Jays had a really good year with respect to their starting pitching and it was a way better year than probably anyone would have expected. I mean, you could also throw, he didn't pitch the whole year with them, but Jose Barrios is a guy who pitched 190 plus innings and he ended the season in the rotation. So even without Tanner Roark, even without some of those expected contributions from maybe a Ross Stripling, for instance, or a Nate Pearson, They ended up having a lot of stability in this rotation. They had a lot of consistency and they had some great performances and guys that, you know, in an era that you can't count on a lot of innings, they had a group of starters collectively and individually exceed expectations in really big ways. Jose Brios hasn't missed a start in four years. 2018, 32 starts. 2019, 32 starts. 2020, 12 starts. Short season. 2021, 32 starts. Guy has taken the ball every five days for nearly half a decade. Durability is so, so important. When you you talk about um, you know starting pitchers in, in today's game, like just having that reliable guy who will take the ball and give you really good innings, it's something the Blue Jays really value. And it's something that I expect will be a trait that they seek to add more of this offseason, whether it's the free agents that they're targeting, whether it's going out and getting like a useful sort of back end of the rotation guy in trade, like a Merrill Kelly or someone like that, just like a Cal Hendricks, even if you want sort of a mid, even a bit upper rotation option, somebody who's going to take the ball and somebody who you can rely on to give you innings because it's not like there is a surplus of young pitching talent starting wise, pushing themselves up from triple a 
right now and challenging for rotation spots. And this, you know, to go back to Manoa, this is why his emergence is so huge because you think about losing Ray and Mats. And if Manoa had not taken this step forward, how different the conversation would be, right? Like you'd be looking at Ryu and the uncertainty there. You'd be looking at Barrios, of course, as, as you know, a, a frontline starter, but adding Manoa to that mix and the expected quality that he can bring, huge game changer for the Blue Jays. All right, that brings us from the more established members of the Blue Jays rotation to some of the spot start candidates who might have gotten a handful of outings in the course of the year. This question comes from at Davy Danger Pants. So thanks for the question. Game started between Thomas Hatch, Anthony Kay, Trent Thornton, and TJ Zoic combined 32.5. So 32.5 combined starts from that group. Arden, you wisely took the under. I ended up taking the over. And I am just bringing up this page now, but I there's no way that group got to 32.5. There's no chance. There is, yeah. There's no chance. So we have Hatch, K, Thornton, no. and Zoic. Hatch, two. K was five. Thornton was three. And Zoic was three so that's a total of 13 from this group and we were thinking going into the season they might get to 33 so way under that is one on your side of the ledger we at least correctly identified kind of the spot starters right or actually we didn't do anything the uh, the question asker davy danger pants <laughs> david Hyatt. give the man some credit yeah no at david danger pants correctly identified the uh the spot starters because you look beyond that tier of your ray ryu manoa Brius, etc of the guys who kind of filled in with starts and it is k at five thornton at three soig at three hatch at two no other pitcher made multiple starts other than those guys and then the obvious names who were fixtures of the rotation throughout the season um so well done in identifying those guys and well done to me for whatever I said at the time, whatever my rationale was, because it's not like the Blue Jays had a super stable rotation coming into the season. Remember, this is a world where we didn't know that Robbie Ray was going to be Robbie Ray and we didn't know Steven Matz was going to give you 29 starts. He didn't know Alec Manoa was going to be a thing. So I don't know what I was thinking, but uh, I'm glad I thought it certainly worked out for the Blue Jays rotation as a whole when it came to not having to rely on those guys that much this year and that's a big reason for their success they gave the ball to the guys they wanted taking it a very very high percentage of the time all right down to the nitty-gritty uh ben's already got it locked up it's 10-7 for ben and there's only two left we gotta finish this thing team wins 86 and a half is where we set it i took the under ben took the over looking pretty good for me up until about the beginning of september and then all of a sudden uh it became ben time in, in this one and the blue jays uh finished off with 91 wins but uh if you looked at where the blue jays were kind of entering the the stretch run here probably six weeks left in the season i was looking pretty good in this one so oh yeah that's my consolation prize i guess I don't five know. months in if we had tallied these at the end of august and the jays had you know just lost to the tigers in demoralizing fashion that definitely would have been trending in your direction. But no, they, I mean, they finished so strong. And it is, again, a reminder of looking at this season as a whole. And okay, what did we expect? What was the most reasonable place to set this line going in? I'm sure we looked at the fan graphs projections. I'm sure we were looking at various over-unders and, and prognostications to kind of inform where we set this line here. 
And that was 86.5. And they, they go out and they win 91 games. Like it didn't lead them to the playoffs. It didn't lead to, you know, the, the kind of season that clearly they had the potential for, but they kind of shattered this over under and ended up at 91. So that brings us to the final over under of the 2021 season. And as usual, this one focuses on postseason games played. So team postseason games played, we specified with no expanded playoffs because there obviously had been expanded playoffs in 2020. And we specified here, which in hindsight was a good call to to make this very clear. We said play in game does not count. So they had to actually get to the playoffs. Over under would be 0.5. Clearly, they did not reach the playoffs. Arden, you correctly predicted that, as you might have guessed from the previous question. I predicted that they would make the playoffs. I took the over here. In the end, very close, but close doesn't count in over-unders. You got to be right. You were right on this one. They did not make the playoffs. Well, that's not all that you predicted, Ben. You actually took things a step further. Let's listen back to what you said in in the original over-unders episode. What I'm going to predict is that the Toronto Blue Jays will be hosting the wildcard game at the end of the 2021 season at at Rogers Centre. Whoa! And on the mound for the Toronto Blue Jays will be none other than James Paxton. Whoa! Okay, yeah, that's bold. (laughs) Is that bold enough? What do we we think? I know I'm shocked. I don't know how to respond. Didn't quite play out like that, Ben, but I, I like the boldness, and I like where your head was at. Well, it's funny because, you know, listening back and thinking back to that time, you really are reminded that it was actually bold to think that the Blue Jays would be back in Toronto. And it was bold to think that they would be in the playoffs. And by the end of the season, they're obviously back in Toronto and they had a certain amount of fans. It wasn't totally full yet. They were competing for that playoff spot. Like in a lot of ways, they came very close. And the Paxton thing, I mean, that one I totally whiffed on. They did not get James Paxton. He was out for the year. I think in in the first couple of weeks of the season, he already was uh, getting TJ. First start. First start. He threw 1.1 innings. He got four outs. Well, season over. Yeah. So that that part of the prediction I whiffed on. But yeah, it's, it's always just interesting to kind of come face to face with what even was considered bold. And this idea that the Blue Jays could conceivably host a wildcard game in Toronto with fans and they would be, you know, in that playoff race, that actually was bold at the time. And it came pretty close to coming true although uh you know i would have i would have liked to nail that one a bit more uh a bit more precisely there were scenarios in which the blue jays could have hosted the wildcard game like that was on the table on the final day of the season it takes in some play in craziness but you could have gotten to half of that being right obviously the paxton thing was off the table originally but you you could there was an avenue for you to get half of it so that's not bad. Yeah, it's always interesting when looking back at these and thinking like some of the names that come up, some of the assumptions that come up. You know, this year we got some right. As always, we got some wrong. We got a lot wrong. And uh, that's I think that's just the nature of these over-unders. If you do a good job of setting them, like we're not giving each other layups. We're trying to, we're trying to create tough questions here. Pretty much every year that ends up being the case. Over, under, new CBAs agreed to in the year... 2021.5 yeah i'm taking i think i'm following the logic of the quote i know where you're going in spirit with this question i'm trying to think of the (laughs) like it's going to be under there's not going to be a new cba this year so yeah which is very uh, you know 
if that is the way things unfold, that would be very disappointing because we lost most of the 2020 season already. There is no need to have this drawn out into a very acrimonious and public process, but I kind of think that's what's going to happen. Which then means over under, like say free agent signings league-wide of a player that would be projected for let's say like 4 F4 or 3 even F4 over under 0.5 in the year 2021 probably the under i mean how about this if Almost i phrase certainly. it this way cuz you could see like a Yuli Gurriel signing a one year deal oh that's a good point yeah clayton kershaw returns yeah. to the los angeles dodgers that yeah, i could fair. see conceivably but if we're talking about how many players sign contracts that are valued over $50 million before January 31st, like I might take the under on that at 0.5. Yeah. No, it would really take a new CBA being agreed to very quickly. There's talk that the owners, like they might lock the players out. The teams collectively might not allow themselves to spend money on players before a new CBA is reached. No, and that's going to be a point where it's like it's not just fans. It's not just us who are just like sitting around like waiting for this thing to get sorted out and being frustrated by it. Then it's like front offices too. That's assistant GMs and general managers and presidents of baseball ops and analysts and scouts and like all the people that contribute to that are all just sitting around waiting. Yeah. And look, I mean, having having waited for a season to begin in 2020 and having experienced that uncertainty and some of the public discourse that happened around that time. I mean, we talked about it on ATL at that time. And like, I don't really crave that experience again of uh, waiting for all that stuff to unfold. Like, I, you know, the games are the best part of baseball. And I love free agency and I love follow. I love trying to learn about collective bargaining and all this stuff. But, it, you know, nobody needs a delay to the 2022 season. All that said, like, I hope the players get a fair deal i hope they get a better deal than they got the last time around when they were negotiating for this like i hope that the players get what they are entitled to like as the product like as the people whose names are literally on the backs of the jerseys and you know who without premium great players like marcus simeon's like robbie ray's like vladimir guerrero juniors without them none of this exists without them none of this can happen so i hope that they get what they should be getting in a fair system. And I hope that players are getting paid earlier in their careers. And and I hope that more players are able to reach free agency in prime earning years and all these things that I've advocated for over the years on at the letters, but that's not going to make it any easier to, to stomach what it looks like we're heading for right now. Yeah. So that's a dour note to it end the is. podcast on. <laughs> Let's find an uplifting one here. Uh, another victory for Ben in in the over-unders. I, don't know, I feel like you could feel good about 11 of 18. I feel like anytime you're over 500 in the over-unders is pretty good. I don't think it's possible to go like perfect, but over 500 is, is a pretty good result in over-unders. Well, again, we deliberately try to make these hard. And the ones that we choose from our listeners... They're the tough one. Yeah. Love getting those questions, but you know the ones that we choose are the ones that we think there might be some disagreement on. So yeah, it is it is tough. I'd love to see again if someone out there got eighteen or seventeen or sixteen or anyone who who did really well, send me a tweet, send Arden a tweet as well, and uh, let us know how those predictions went for you because I'm sure someone out there probably got a high number. Yeah, 
for sure. Looking forward to seeing that. Looking forward to off season in which we will have plenty to talk about, we hope. Looking forward to talking to you as soon as there is uh, some Blue Jays news to discuss. You know that we'll be here uh, on AdTheLettersOfSports.ca. I want to thank our producer, Christian Ryan, for all of his work on what is an extremely heavy lifting episode every year. So thank you to him, not only for uh, taking on this piece of an episode, but also for all of his work throughout the season. It's been a pleasure working with uh, with Christian Ryan. Uh, I want to thank Nick Andrade and Andrew Norton and Amal Delich and everybody who's contributed to the podcast this year ben and i are extremely grateful for all the work you put in behind the scenes to uh make this this podcast what it is i want to thank you listeners for th- listening uh for being with us for for another season hopefully many more until next time i'm arden he's ben this is at the letters